I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Hey everybody, welcome once again to another edition of I-94. My name, as always, is Mr. Jamie Trecker, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Good morning. Mr. Michael Sack. Good morning, Jamie. And today, uh, on a special edition of I-94, we've been wanting to talk to uh, this author for quite some time, and things just keep cropping up almost as in his book. We're speaking with Max Basora. He is speaking to us live from Spain. His new book is called, and I've got to take a deep breath before I say this, The Adventures and Misadventures of the Extraordinary and Admirable Jean Orpi, Conquistador and Founder of New Catalonia, which is a mouthful. And it's a great book. I think we all enjoyed it, and we were really looking forward to having you on. Max, thanks so much for making time on this Thursday night to chat with us. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me here. Max, um, it's incredible. Uh, this book, um, I don't know if I'm, you know, giving away too much, but it seems like to me, this was a kind of a modern retelling of Don Quixote done in a very, uh, I found it at least very witty kind of, uh, linguistically, uh, hyperbolic, uh, very kind of acrobatic style. Um, I don't know enough candidly about Catalonian politics. And I wondered if we could just start there because, American listeners are probably not necessarily familiar with the political undercurrents in Spain. And I think your book kind of references some of that. And I just wonder if you could give our, our listeners a little primer on why, first of all, Catalonia is not necessarily Spain, though it is in Spain, and, and why that's important. Well, I'm not a historian, but I, I will try <laughs> to explain a, a resume of, of the situation. Um, so... At the age what, where the novel is placed, which is the 17th century, um, Catalonia was um, under a kingdom, right? And there was two kingdoms in Spain, uh, the Castilla kingdom and the Aragon kingdom. And then later on in the history, the two kingdoms get together and, you know, it, it was a, a one kingdom only, which we are, uh, still have. Uh, still are in that kingdom, um, and so Catalonia, Catalonia was always a, a nation itself, but never a country, right? Um, but uh, the problem is that when you have only one kingdom in a country, well, uh, they tend to uh, to regulate this country by using one language, for example, and one god, and you know, and one leader, <laughs> and that's what kingdoms do or empires, uh, which is probably uh, similar. And so that's what the Spanish kingdom did since the yeah 16th, 17th, uh, 16th century or 17th century, which they conquer uh, the so-called America and they impose the same king that he was in Spain, the same God that he was in Spain and the same leader, right? And so with this in mind, uh, still we are in the same situation here in Spain. We still have uh, a king uh, who apparently don't, doesn't rule, but, you know, it's a figure that, that it rules. And, and all the languages in Spain um, are a minor language except the Spanish language, right? So Catalonia always feel, felt like, you know, that they, they have their own culture, their own language, their different sense of humor than the Spanish ones, or, you know, different culture backgrounds and 
music and whatever. No? So we always felt like a different nation from Spain, right? But still we are in the same, under the same kingdom. And that's why we are against the, the king of Spain, basically, you know. I mean, the French is, uh, resolved that uh, many centuries ago by cutting the head of the king. And it became a republic, right? Yeah. <laughs> in Spain, it didn't happen. I don't know why. You know, maybe because we didn't have the guillotine. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, the, the only, I mean, I think most Americans, again, I, I know Spain best, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but by, from football, you know, watching Barcelona play, watching yeah. Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. I, I do know, however, that there is a major Catalan separatist movement. And I know that the main government of Madrid has been trying very hard to put that down. In fact, jailing politicians and uh, doing things that even in America would, would seem strange. Can you talk a little bit about this? Because I, I did get some of the overtones of that in your book. You know, this idea that the conquistadors who were going to the Americas were trying to take this very flawed and kind of crazy <laughs> way of governing to a whole new world that uh, was not exactly willing to go along with that. Well, the situation here, uh, the political situation and the separatism or nationalism here uh, starts in the 19th century, more or less. And uh, th there's a movement, movement that, that, that it, it, it has been increased the last uh, 10 years. Um, because of the injustice of the uh, Spanish legal system and and all these uh, language issues or cultural issues and whatever. Uh, I'm not really part of it, but uh, for example, my parents or a lot of my friends are really getting to it. Uh, I'm an anarchist, so I don't believe in <laughs> in politicians or countries or borders. You know, for me, the world should be one and that's it, you know. Uh, but um, because I think that nationalism always tends to war and confrontation, you know, if you think like this and I think like this and I believe in that ideology, you know, or that king or that politician, you know, I'm going to fight with you against you. Uh, and I don't I don't I don't believe in that. But still, nevertheless, that's my personal opinion, <laughs> but <laughs> general opinion, um, well, the general General in Catalonia, yeah, is uh, actually it's the half of population who believes or who thinks that that Catalonia should be separate from Spain and create their own state, which it's okay if they think like this, and I respect that. Uh, I'm not against that, and and probably you know I'm more against the the Spanish nationalism. Because the Spanish nationalism is, is much worse because it, it, it starts with the conquer, with the conquest of America, right? And and they have still nowadays the same the same mentality of uh, impose one language and impose one way of thinking and uh, one ideology, you know. And they are still in that in that move, in that in that move, in that way of thinking, right? And yeah, and in that way Catalonia is a little bit different. Uh, it's more modern, it's more for Catalonia is, in history, it has been more connected to France, for example, you know, and the artists and the music and everything is, it's more, and I, I don't know, a little bit more open and uh, I don't know, free mind, right? And 
Spain still lives in that, you know, in, in that conquer style of, yeah, we rule all this country, whatever, right? And so it was very interesting to see uh, when I was uh, about to write this novel that there was a, a guy called Juan Orpi who actually uh, went to America and uh, and uh, tried to to rule like a kingdom there under the Spanish government, but he was a Catalan. Because the funny thing is that Catalans, it was forbidden for Catalans to go to America uh, during the conquest. Um, because uh, there was a, a law in that time or kind of a law that said, no, only Spaniards from Castilla and Sevilla and the south of Spain, they can go to America. But Catalans still are into the other kingdom that there was in Spain back then, right? So there, it was forbidden for them to go to America. So Juan Urpi, what he did was to, um, I don't know how to say that in English, but um, to, to, to transform in, into a Spanish uh, person. I don't know how to say that in English. Like, uh, yeah, I think that I think that's right. You know, yeah, made himself over into a, a conversal. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. conversal. Conversion. Well, Conversion. there's a there's a a placard in the novel, so to speak. It's it's printed and it says uh, about the the ship that's going to America. It says embarking prohibited to Moors, conversos, or reconciled Jews, black slaves, half breeds, mulattoes, or Berbers, heretics, apostates, Lutherans, and the sons of such. Also denied passage are foreigners, gypsies, criminals, and lawyers. Only old Christians accepted. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, almost everyone everyone was excluded to go to yeah. America, but then everybody went to America anyway, you know, because they need people. They needed the, the people there and to you know to conquer basically and so and and the story of this Juan Orpi that I that I wrote about it is is real so this guy goes there and and he um uh he, he like uh, uh goes up in the military rank yes yeah, can you yeah. say that yep yeah and then and then he has the capacity of uh conquer a territory and call it the new Catalonia which for Spaniards was like what who is this guy, you know? <laughs> and then and then they take it they take the territory from him, you know. So so that was like a a, a parallel history history from the real history here in Spain, you know, that uh, that Catalonia was also like uh, you know, it was impossible for Catalonia to become a state, right? So it was the same history but uh, 4 centuries ago, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I want to get a little bit into the book. So the is it Joan? Is that how you Joan. say Joan? Joan P. is the uh, the founder of Catalan. And you know, Jamie mentioned Don Quixote. I, I I tried to read Don Quixote. I couldn't get through it. But uh, to me, this was way funnier. And and what I liked more is that the his adventures were much different. Like I felt like when I read Don Quixote, it was the same thing over and over. And, and uh, the founder of your country went through a lot of interesting things. Um, one of my uh, favorite stories was early when he runs into the um, the plague victims that are trying to eat him. And uh, <laughs> the zombie apocalypse. So the, so. Yeah, and and then he also runs into the dwarf. Uh, can you tell me how to pronounce the dwarf's name? 
Oh yeah, or B, yeah, found the tribulet, uh, the dwarf, uh, which was a, a real character in history. Uh, apparently, this uh, dwarf was the dwarf of uh, one of the French kings. So, uh, what what I did in this novel is to put a, a real uh, characters in history, uh, whatever it was in in the same uh, age. I mean, the epoch or not. And then um, I mix it with uh, fictional characters too. So what I'm, what I was trying to do with this book is uh, to tell people um, don't believe in historical facts because you know uh, history is tell uh, normally by by the winners, but not the losers, right? And the losers doesn't write the history. But you know I wanted to write the history also from the point of view of the losers and. Uh, but also to say that uh, don't believe everything it says the history right because right. the history it can be interpreted and and nobody knows what really happened at the end right i mean we have to believe the historians but 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 what are the sources and 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 who knows what what is facts or not right this is not like mathematics and so that was a like a critical to the book is a critic to uh, history itself and the historical books too because they tend to pass from real history and it's only a fiction story right was the the plague victims that were you know, wanting to eat him was uh was that based on a real plague or was that an allegory for something no but well i mean in these times there was a lot of plagues around so that could be possible that happened, you know. I mean, yeah. not that people eating people, like cannibalism. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that part. That was really funny to me. <laughs> let's uh, just take a quick break and let's hear a selection from Max's book. And we are speaking to the author Max Basora live from Spain. His new book is called The Adventures and Misadventures of the Extraordinary and Admiral Juan, Juan R.P., whose name I apparently can't say now, conquistador and founder of New Catalonia. As always, we want to thank our reader, Shanna Van Volt. Jamie Branch provides the music. We'll be right back in conversation with Max. Chapter 7, in which we learn of the arrival of the six friends to the city of Seville, and Joan Orpi receives some bad tidings. The five friends, plus a homunculus, finally reach the city of Seville. It was all flower-filled balconies, narrow cobblestone streets, churches with gold and polychrome altars and Solomonic columns. It was all immobilized by a lethal heat that made the excrement and urine on the streets boil with an unbearably noxious stench. Our band led their horses up, up, up a long, narrow street of white houses crowned with a small church. Then they went down an even narrower street to the Torre del Oro, and from there to the Puerto del Arena. A raging sun beat down, and throughout that entire trajectory they didn't see a single soul. The city seemed to be abandoned. But as soon as the sun set behind the mountains and the chiming of the bells of Geralda were heard, the whole city suddenly filled with people and the roar of human life. Royal soldiers, hidalgos, gentlemen, ladies of the upper bourgeoisie, black slaves imported from Africa, natives from the Indies wearing loincloths and feathers on their heads who looked at everything with terrorized eyes, carriages and carts passing up and down, taverns opening their doors, churches ringing their bells, sopistas singing amusing syllogisms for their sopa boba, villains plotting swindles beneath bridges, sailors flirting with ladies of the night, and citizens of a thousand different nations. What a lot of people there be in this city, and such rejoicing, exclaimed our hero. 
where so many people came from not even God knows, but the city of Seville turned out to be a very lively, jovial place, a marvel where it seemed all dreams could be realized. Or P and his friends entered one of many taverns that lined a square, where they heard a music entirely new to their ears, with intense guitar strumming, shouts, faces that clenched and softened, shrieks and vibrant stomps. A dancer moved her skirt as if two flags were waving at once, and a man bellowed as if his liver were pulling from his mouth, and everyone accompanied the musicians with rhythmic hand clapping. When Orpi asked Valle d'Alorma what sort of music that was, the Moor answered, Fela Mangu, mine friend, the song of the Moors and the journeyman gypsies. Thou dost call it Fela Mangu? asked Orpi. Yes, flamenco, or some such, he said. While Martelina, Del Omar, and Grau had some tapas and Tribule the Dwarf joined in with a dancer, our hero headed, thinking positively and wasting no time, to the local government office. He was prepared to ask for the job that his former mentor in Barcelona, the Sephardi Yehuda Aberbano, had assured him his letter of recommendation would secure him. When Orpi reached the secretary, he removed his hat in a wide bow and said, Hello, esteemed secretary. My name is Zinho Ernesto, not Secretary. Very well. Ernesto. I come sent by Manuel de Rubiola of Barcelona, bearing a letter of commendation for the post as administrator to the royal tobacco shops, he said in Catalan-inflected Spanish. The secretary Ernesto laughed so hard he almost choked. Looky here, Catalan, the man whose name thou bandy about here be a huckster and a Jew. He wanted by the law, understand? If he shows his face in Javille, he shan't live long. Art thou saying I don't get the job? asked Orpi. I have a law degree, eh? I can speak with whomever's in charge around hither. Law degree, schma degree, skedaddle. When our hero returned, entirely woebegone, to where his friends were waiting for him, he found Martelina the Divina in a sword fight with five rogues at once and the tavern in shambles. Wouldst thou mind telling me what the hayek be going on here? asked Orpi, fighting by the young woman's side. Thy friend, the dwarf, she said, stabbing an opponent. He groped his dance partner, and now thirty of her brothers, cousins, and uncles be intent on cutting us down to size to safeguard her honor. It seems she was unmarried, and the Didicois have very strict laws regarding such matters. Aha, said Orpi, as he brandished his sword left and right. Meanwhile, squads of fearsome musketeers began to arrive, breaking up the bar fight with shots of their muskets. Orpi and Marchulina slipped through the back streets before they could arrest them. Not long after, they found Graud and Monfalco sitting on a wooden bench. Friends, sorry that I didst not lend a hand, he said, crying inconsolably. You know I can't spare violence. I'm ever so sensitive. Wherefore art Del Omar and Tribule? They have vanished into the thick air. Well, that's just great. And that was a selection from the author Max Basora's new book, The Adventures and Misadventures of the Extraordinary and Admiral Juan R.P., Conquistador and Founder of New Catalonia. And uh, we actually just heard a little selection um, that I hope gives kind of the sense of uh, how Max put this book together. Uh, Max is mixing um, real historical figures with uh, this somewhat fictional uh, story of um, a Catalonian uh, conquistador who goes to the New World in order to form a new Catalonia, which, as Max uh, described earlier, was something that, that could not have happened because of Catalonia's own political situation. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting in the structure of this book, Max, was that if you pay attention, the story is actually being told by a group of other soldiers to another group of soldiers who then 
react to the story of our hero in various ways, generally boredom. Um, and I wonder <laughs> if you could talk a little bit about why you use that device, because it does remind you, I think it plays to your earlier point, that history is written you know, by the winners, and that the tale of Jean Arpi is a, is a tale uh, at its heart. Yeah, that's that was the intention. I mean, if I wrote that book like uh, like in a third person, and that's the story, and this is what it is, then the reader can, you know, say, well, maybe that was true, you know. But if I then I thought, no, let's do it in that way. Let's put a narrator who's gonna tell the story to some people. Uh, one century uh, later. And so the people who's listening to this narrator to tell the story of Joan Rupi is constantly uh, questioning the narration and the facts of that narration. So doing that in that way, um, the same book is questioning the story who is narrating in the book, you know. So the critic, it's inside the book, and and that's what I like when I write. Um, I like to to create like a, a bomb, a bomb of um, of critical thinking, you know. And this bomb can activate or deactivate uh, within the book, you know. Uh, nobody has to tell from outside because the book already has the right answers and the wrong answers, and you know. And, and in that way, um, uh, the reader who, who could read this book uh, could say, well, that could happen in a real situation or not, because the book, it says both ways all the time, you know. And that, that, that was my intention uh, by the time to, to write this book. Yeah, that's interesting. The tone shifts a lot, which, which I enjoyed. There were there were times, most of the time, it was hilarious. Which you know, I gotta give a, a shout out to the the translator. What yeah. is her name? Mara Faye Lethem. Wow, good job, Mara. That was that that must yeah. have been tricky. Is she Jonathan Latham's wife, by the way? Uh, it's a sister. Sister. Okay. Oh wow. She, I mean, incredible. I I, uh, I don't know if if you you. Uh, read portions or worked with her on it or, or, or if the if, if it's true to form to the original Catalan, but it was awesome. Um, and just to give listeners an idea of, of what we were just talking about, the, the book's broken up into three sections, and uh, Max kind of used this this device in the beginning to say a professor had found a manuscript of, of the history, and then uh, were taken to the captain on a ship during the siege of Barcelona in, in 1714, and the captain's telling a story to, to pass away the time during the siege, and so he tells the story to his to his uh, uh, what do you call crew it? members? Crew, his yeah, to his crew. It's not really noted why he's passing the time during the siege instead of fighting. I will I will point that out. I noted that. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I don't get how there's, that works. There's a lot of downtime. <laughs> but they you it. The, the crew kind of pokes fun at how indulgent the the language in the book is and how it uh, it plays around too much and then the captain has a retort to why it is that way so that specifically that's what Max was just talking about but it it I liked those those um, intermissions with the captain and the crew talking um, it gave you a little break and it and it, it sort of zoomed out and you got to have that critical 
discussion you were talking about. There also was a mention of a lot of texts in the book, which was cool. I like when books do that, when they mention a lot of other books. Um, what's, the, what's the guy? Bartol- Bartolomo de las Casas? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, uh, his book is mentioned. There's there's huge discussions about you know the what really happened in history and were the Indians or native savages and what were they really like and um, you know questioning these origin stories. We there's a lot going on everywhere with this. There's the 1619 project with the New York Times here. There's a lot of controversy about there's uh, you know, the uh, Israel Palestine with the Balfour Declaration, Catalonia, Spain. Um, how how did you play that line of of like sort of staying true to historical fact or how it's written and then just playing with whatever you want. Like, how, how did you give yourself that freedom? Well, um, partly because what I said before that, um, you know, when I was studying in the university uh, literature and, and it was like, you know, that there's a, the new historians in the 70s, uh, like Thompson, uh writing the English uh, historian talking about the 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 working class of England uh, uh, and these kind of historians who who try to tell the story from below not from the winners and I was interested in that kind of historians because they say well yeah let's let's try to write the history of the of the marginalized of the lumpen you know mm-hmm. and and I was interested in that like um, you know, I don't want to talk about the conquistadors and how great was the empire and whatever, you know, or how poor were the natives who lived there. I wanted to make a, a humor book because I like humor, but also a, a very a huge critic to the to the his, history itself, right? And um, and to do that, I had to read a lot of history too at the same time, you know. <laughs> But I, I like it to do that. But also, it was not only the historical books what I had to read, but also the the cultural environment of that time. And by doing that, you have to also submerge into the language who was in that time. And for example, in Spain, there was a a lot of uh, different languages. I mean, Catalan, for example, was mixed with Spanish at that time. And so the things that I found uh, written of the 17th century, it was really a mess, you know, and, uh, and it was very funny because it was like all these mixed languages. And, uh, or for example, at the time to create the language of the pirates, I had also to investigate how the pirates spoke and they, they spoke in a language uh, that mixed uh, Dutch, English, French, so it was very funny to create this language because they already were created, but you know I had to put it in a fic- in the fiction, you know. And so the the whole book is a soap uh, opera of languages. And for the translator, for for Mara Lithum, uh, it was a, a you know a really a pain in the ass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we had to have hours of discussion like all oh, these words what what does it mean and i didn't remember what did it mean because you know i searched it but then i forget it why it was there and so it was like a lot of beers and a lot of uh, talking and so mara lithum creates really like a almost like another book in english because she had to invent it a lot of uh, 
you know neologism and uh, and and different languages that I don't even know. I mean, when I read the the English version, some things that I don't understand. You know, I don't mm. understand, <laughs> which is funny. It's very funny. That is very funny. How was the response in, in Catalan to the, the to the book, Max? Was it well received, or did people not want to hear a revised history? <laughs> well, no. Actually, it's the only book that I that I win something like uh, an award. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, in the book criticized nationalisms, so you know. Um, you're saying uh, the papers didn't didn't dig that part of it. I mean, no, the papers talk about the book, and it was mentioned uh, as one of the the great books of the year and whatever. But you know, I mean, here when you criticize the the main ideology, like everywhere, uh, then uh, there's the possibility that possibility that that you you are not in the top of the tops, right? But I don't care because, you know, um, I think for a writer or for an artist, um, you know, you should be critic to all ideologies. You know, you can never be uh, a slave of the power if you do arts, you know, otherwise you're dead, you know. And by power, I don't mean only politics. I mean, also industry, you know, the industry of art or whatever. So that's why I always publish my books in a, in the, in a independent um, editorials, and you know I don't I don't like the the industry like like the big big industry. You know, right. was this book to go against that actually? Was this book serialized in Catalonia? Serialized? Yeah, you when know, in it's section the way it's written, it, it's like it was it way back then when they used to serialize in magazines. A lot of yeah. Oh. Like yeah. a chapter no. a week or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But but that was my intention uh, at the time to write the book. Yeah, to do like a yeah, like they did in the nineteenth century yeah, that they cool. they sell yeah. every week or every month uh, a piece of yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, we're speaking right now with Max Bessor. He has a new book out called The Adventures and Misadventures of the Extraordinary and Admiral Juan Orpi, Conquistador and Founder of New Catalonia. It's out from Open Letter. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for station identification and to remind folks of the good people that make this station possible. When we come back, we're going to hear another excerpt from Max's book and we'll continue our conversation with him. You are listening to I-94 right here on WLPN. <laughs> And now, back to I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Chapter 4, in which our hero meets a powerful lord who makes him a unique offer, and then encounters the Indian Arepuro. Our hero was celebrating his partial victory at trial in a tavern with his friends Marcellina de Divina, Father Claver, Estebanico de Blackamore, and the soldiers Octopus, Jeremy's, and the Scourge, drinking a wine made of fermented yuca. After their carousing, Gregorio Izquierdo walked back alone to the soldiers' barracks. As luck or fate would have it, he ran into Domingo Vasas de Soja and the other Criollo noblemen. Upon seeing them, he greeted his opponents, politely removing his hat and even bowing. Quit your reverences and play-acting second lieutenant, ordered de Soja. Today, in that trial, or shall I say farce, you dug your own grave, Don Gregorio. Or was it Juan Urpin? I like both names equally, thanks, said our hero sarcastically. 
but I'm not nearly as fond of hypocrisy and injustice as thou beest, that for sure. Nor am I fond of the Indians and black slaves you consort with as your lick spittles, said the Criollo nobleman with a disgusted expression, nor of Bretons and wooden nickels like you. Only the lily-livered exterminant of an entire village of women and children, said Gregorio, starting to get nervous. Murderer. That's an affront, exclaimed the nobleman, unsheathing his sword. Indeed, said our hero, unsheathing his and preparing to duel with that villain. The other military noblemen also drew their swords and surrounded Gregorio, and soon a crowd, alerted by the shouting, had formed a circle around the soldiers, hoping to see blood. Halt, shouted an elegantly dressed man emerging from the crowd. Four against one, not a very gentlemanly battle. And who in the hell art thou, said one of the noblemen, pointing his sword at him. Diego de Arroyo, governor of Cumania, at your service, he said, pushing the sword away by its tip. And all of you be under my jurisdiction, as such I can send you all to the clink with a wave of my finger, so no more insults and break it up. The noblemen put away their swords and dispersed amid the crowd, their faces reflecting their rage as Gregorio Izquierdo also sheathed his weapon. Second Lieutenant Izquierdo, said the governor, I attended thine trial today and saw thee to be a just and learned man, precisely what I require for the post of second in command in Cumanagato in New Andalusia. Wilst thou accept? Thy will be done, said our hero, bowing until his nose touched the ground. Then come see me tomorrow and we'll do all the paperwork, said the governor, and the two men shook hands. By the way, I forgot to mention that some fishermen have gotten word from some other fishermen who, in turn, heard yet other fishermen further up the coast say, basically a bunch of fishermen, that there is someone named Gregorio Izquierdo who's just arrived from Seville to reclaim his treasure. So now we have a fake Gregorio Izquierdo and a real Gregorio Izquierdo. Which one out thou? Ye gats, Gregorio Izquierdo is alive? My real name is Juan Urpin, confessed our hero, embarrassed. It's a long story. Pray allow me to. I don't want to hear it, said the governor, cutting him off. Wherefore dost thou, Grace, trust me? Thou art a man of letters and verily a personage of character, said the governor. Just men are few and far between in these parts, and thou shalt be of more use in my service than locked up in jail. But watch it with the whole matter of the bilocation. I assume twill catch up with thee at some point. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to I-94. This is Jamie Trecker. As always, I'm joined by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Howdy. And Mr. Michael Sack. Yellow. And you just heard an excerpt from the brand new book, The Adventures and Misadventures of the Extraordinary and Admiral Juan Orpi, Conquistador and Founder of New Catalonia. And it was written by Max Besora. We are speaking with Max from somewhere in the Spanish countryside, not in Barcelona. Uh, he moved out there uh, just before the pandemic. You know, one of the things we were talking about, Max, right before uh, the break was kind of the literary pyrotechnics of the book and, and how the translator uh, over here uh, had to make up a lot of new words. And uh, you mentioned that some of the words that when you read the book, you're, you're not even familiar with them. Um, language and the playing with language seems to be one of the major themes of this book. And I, you know, we talked earlier just before the, we took a break about how history, in your opinion, is written by the conquerors, which I think most people would agree with. But I wondered if the slipperiness of the language in the book was also trying to get at that as well, because you're mixing the various tones and dialects of vast numbers of people, whether they are the natives that uh, the conquistadors are trying to, to conquer, whether it is the pirates, whether it's the conquerors. And I wondered if you were trying to kind of get at the fact that there is something very essential about the words we use to describe things and how those words in other people's hands can have different meanings. Um, I found the use of the language in the book to be 
quite funny uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, there was real but, counterpoint between um, kind of old style English and then a very modern expression. Yeah, completely. Modern. What's she talking about, Willis? Something, you know, very, very abrupt. So I wonder if you could speak to that, Max, because I have to think that was a, a very intentional decision on your part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, uh, literature is, 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 is about language. Uh, so, I mean, the story is less important than the language. Um, uh, in the same way that the cinema, you know, it's more important how you put the camera or, you know, the music is how more important is how you play. No, not the, the, the show you're doing no? or the happening. And so um, in that way, uh, yeah, I wanted to create this language, which was a mix, not only a mix of languages that it was uh, spoken or written in the 17th century, but also languages that it's, it's having spoken nowadays, like, I don't know, Spanglish, for example, which I think it's the most interesting language uh, right now, because, you know, uh, Spanglish mixes, you know, cultures and uh, and then and then the Sp well, Spanish, the Latin American and the American culture, and then you create a new language, which is Spanglish. But there is no one Spanglish, and there is different Spanglish, right? The Spanglish from Miami or the Spanglish from New York, and and I think that's very interesting. And 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 the authors in the United States, they should be. Uh, proud of these and, and and use this language because it's a new language and it's not regulated. And the problem here in Spain, for example, is that Spanish or Catalan are really regulated languages. You cannot, I mean, if you mix Spanish and Catalan, they're going to look you bad, you know, <laughs> because, you know, it's anti-nationalist. It's, it's strange. Well, it's there's, there, aren't there language academies? I know there's one in France and I assume there's one in Madrid that tells what the legal language is. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. But you Americans, you don't have that, right? Yeah, I, mean, if, I think it's really hard for us to understand. has success, then you use it and it's okay. And I, I like that because, you know, language is it's, it's a weapon to communicate. So uh, it should be improving all the time. Well, yeah. even, in, even in Chicago, you know, Puerto Rican Spanglish is different than Mexican Spanglish. And um, there's, yeah. there's all kinds of varieties, uh, throw, even throughout the city. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, you, the, there is starting to be a, a sort of activist movement, movement on controlling the language and what you can say and cannot say. But it's nothing like what it's been in other countries. I mean, from when Franco took over in 39 to 75, you, the, the language was outlawed. You could not speak it, period. You know, we, yeah. we don't have experience with Wait, that. Wait, which one couldn't you speak? Catalan. You couldn't speak Catalan. Oh, wow. Catalan, yeah. Even, yeah. yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, but, you know, and, and now there's uh, politics uh, on the language, on Catalan language that protects the language, which is okay. And, and for example, I went to, when I went to school, Catalan was already legal. And so I learned all the things in Catalan, which is my language and I love it. But on the other hand, uh, from when you write books and you write in Catalan, um, the institutions demand to write in a proper Catalan. If you start to mixing languages, then it's considered like something mm, not very well viewed, you know. And it's the same in Spanish. Even if you have a strange accent or a mixed language, when the writers write, they write in a proper Spanish or in a proper Catalan. And probably in the United States, you know, most of the time happens the same. Uh, 
I don't know. I'm not sure. But if, if a Mexican wants to write a book in English, they're going to write in English. You know, they're not going to write in Spanglish because, you know, probably the public wouldn't understand, you know. And that's but that's that's uh, a castration to art. For me, art is is to mix language as the, the same way when you do music. And I don't know, I play trumpet and I like jazz, but I like to mix jazz with, I don't know, punk rock. Why not? You know, or yeah. metal. I think there's metal probably why not? a lot of small yeah. press stuff in the United States. Well, I, I was also going to say, though, that, you know, we do take special pride over here, like in <clears throat> when the new dictionary words of the year come out. You know yeah. what I mean? The OED talks about what new coinages were formed every year. And I, I think there is more of a celebration of new phrases and new linguistic ways of talking about things. Yeah. And I, I don't think that is necessarily the case. It's certainly not the case in France. I can't obviously speak to Spain. But, you know, you're, Max, you remind me very much of, of where I grew up, which was Scotland. We had a big program to teach people Scottish Gaelic, which is... Did you learn? No, it's oh. it's totally useless. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a useless thing to learn because, you know, we <clears throat> for hundreds of years, we, we grew up speaking English, and everything that's done in Scotland is in English. But it was thought it would be a, a nice thing to, to get people back. So we actually have our own television channel over there called Scotland Alba, which is in Gaelic. And, you know, I, I the reason I'm bringing this up is because it strikes me as a strange thing. It's, it's nice to hear those words, and I know some of those words from what's called Scots vernacular, which is kind of a, a pidgin English, a creole that's mixed in our newspapers and comic strips. But even if I'm trying to watch a, a football game from, from Dundee, which is where I'm from, um, I can't understand the commentators yeah. saying that I have no idea because I'm I'm so immersed in in English, not it's, it's in like Scots y- Yiddish too. You know this this right. attempted revival at Yiddish. It's what I think a lot of people here find language intimidating. Learning other languages, you know, they would think of something like this as a quote unquote difficult book. I know. Yeah. Chad Post at Open Letter hates when I use that word difficult. It it, it, it really it's, it's not. This is a fun book. Um, do you? Have you ever thought of other languages as intimidating, or, or has it always have they always been fun and playful to you? Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like learning new languages. I think I think um, a common reaction to to the dissonance you're talking about of mixing two things that don't no, don't normally mix. So if you're creating a new word, or someone puts a, a foreign language that you don't know anything about into a text. And you don't mm-hmm. recognize it. The, uh, the common reader, so it seems, closes the book and says, uh, I don't know. I don't like not knowing. Um, you know, how, how do you get people to be less afraid of that change? You know, do you know what I mean? Well, uh, I don't know. But I think people should be open in terms of art, right? I mean, I don't know. For example, I like a lot uh, John Zorn, which is a musician from New York. Yep, he's great. Yeah, he's great. And he's a jazz musician, but he also do does all kinds of styles, you know, and he's not afraid to mix it. And 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 that philosophy I try to apply in literature, you know, and I think if people were more open in their minds, they they could even if they don't understand what is going on with this mixing, you know, it's at least is something is trying to be something new. Right. Mm. Because although uh, otherwise, if you write just a story in a book, it's okay. But, you know, uh, we already have the cinema nowadays. I can watch the Marvel movies and they they also explain a story, right, about right. Spider-Man. But it's not enough, you know. I like 
something more strange, something that that blows your mind, right? I like these kind of things. Well, that's and, interesting. I mean, what what do you think um, a book can do now, a novel can do now that the other mediums can't? <laughs> well, uh, first of all, the novel should be aware of itself. I mean, you know, it's not a story anymore. It's it's novel should be something like an artifact or a bomb or yeah, like a weapon that 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 gives you something that cinema or music cannot bring it right. So to do that, you have to go more. Uh, I don't know like uh more deep than than to tell just a story you have to break you know the the normal narration and and try to uh, offer like a game because a novel also is a game right mm -hmm. and then you go in there and and you lose between the pages and that's what i try to do you know did you ever read george perec uh, sorry george perec the uh french oh, author? Yeah, yeah, yeah. did yeah, you ever Perec. read him the way yeah, you're talking yeah. about it reminds me of... And also, I like a lot of uh, postmodernist uh, authors from the United States, like Thomas Pynchon or Donald mm -hmm. Barthelme, Robert Cooper. Uh, all these people tried to do that in the 70s. And, and, but today, uh, it seems to me that all this play in the novel, it's over. And, and we are again telling stories like, you know, two centuries ago. Like if all the avant-garde were suppressed or you know obsolete which is not true you know it's interesting yeah. you mentioned Bartolome and because well one of the things that I also noticed in, in the book that I thought was interesting was that for long periods of time um, the hero pretends to be someone else uh, yeah. and, and there are a number of people who are wearing disguises and there's a lot of commentary on identity and, and self and um, it's interesting because I happen to be a big fan of, of Bartolome um, and that is a topic that he touches on quite frequently in his short fiction. For people who are, are not familiar with him, I urge you to, yeah, to go take a look at him. Stuff, yeah. Donald Barnum is amazing. Um, and I think it's he's passed out of fashion, though, I think because, um, well, he has the unfortunate uh, habit of being dead, which I think keeps him out of the spotlight. Uh, and Thomas Pynchon, of course, hasn't really done a new book since uh, Inherent Vice came out. Um which people might better Isn't, know from the no, movie. He hasn't, huh? He has not, no. I think Bleeding Edge uh, came out before Inherent yeah. Vice. So. Um, but it's interesting, you know, you talk again about taking on other roles, and that's such a central thing in, in your book as well. I mean, one of the things that the, the story's arc, you know, is this person from a poorer background who aspires to become royalty and aspires to become a conquistador and aspires to take the things that he thinks are good about his country over to a new country. And at every, uh, at every effort is almost stamped out, you know, at, at, at every edge, whether it's his own family, um, himself, himself, or whether it's, <laughs> you know, whether, uh, you know, he's, he's getting in bar fights, you know, this, this idea that you can remake your identity, um, is an interesting yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because I wonder, you know, historically, if the real Jean R.P., whether that was something that occurred to him or not. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, I tried to do to make the portrait of a loser in a way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also these all these these guys that you you're you're speaking. Yeah, I I, I try to put that in the novel that uh, you know, because to like to say you know. 
what it's we what it's narrating here it's a fake probably you know or or maybe not but you will never know you know and so that's why the personalities of or the characters in the novel uh they they wear these disguises or they change his names or they appear and disappear and you don't really know if you know who is he or uh what are they why are they doing this you know and and so all these it's to create this ad atmosphere of fake which art is at the end art is a fake it's a recreation of the real life you know but normally uh, in novels at least in fiction they try to uh, pass this fake as if it were it were real right um it's what it called the mimesis when the reader reads something and says oh i'm identified with this and so i can believe this story but what i'm trying to do with the novel all the time is to say don't believe what it's saying here don't believe it don't believe yeah. <laughs> uh, the characters you know don't believe anything you know because you know you will never know if this was true or not you know that's uh, uh, that's interesting because there's this traditional line of thinking that goes i don't know how far back that that the purpose of literature is to discover the truth you know whatever that capital mm -hmm. t truth is um exactly and if if that doesn't exist, which I th I'm not sure if that's what you're saying, if that doesn't exist, um, is is it just just trying to have fun? <laughs> well, it's a kind of a nihilism, right? But that's 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 also a very uh, a, a thing that that postmodernism, American postmodernism, like Pinchon or Barthelme. Uh, um what we're playing with um this this uh, belief that that nothing is true and the only truth is what you can create the meaning you you created yourself and this is the truth uh, you know and this can constantly change you know i mean truth is not something that you can rely on that's that's the message in a way right yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, we've been speaking today with the author, Max Bessara. His new book is The Adventures and Misadventures of the Extraordinary and Admirable Jean-Arp Conquistador and founder of New Catalonia. Real quickly, Max, do you have anything? I know you don't have any other books out in translation in the United States yet, but is anything coming out? Well, uh, yeah, probably the same publishing house, uh, Open Letter. Uh, they're going to publish uh, another two books of mine. And, oh, great. Uh, the latest one that I published last year here, it's called The Fake News, and it's a pulp uh, fiction novel uh, full of violence and sex and humor, of course. Good. <laughs> Wonderful yeah. stuff. Well, we'll keep an eye out for it. Max, thanks so much for speaking to us today. And as always here on I-94, we're going to give Max the last word. We're going to close with another excerpt from his novel. His novel, of course, is available from all good bookstores and most good libraries. I can guarantee you it is on the shelves here in Chicago. Max, thanks so much for speaking to Thank us today. You, we really appreciate it. It's been a great show. Yeah, thank you. Chapter 8, in which Joan Orpee makes a very belabored request for a public grant to become a conquistador. While our hero drafted his proposal for the grant aboard a hulk, Eripuro drank some chicha and watched him in puzzlement. What dost thou write in that karata, master? A plan for obtaining a capitulation from the Council of the Indies. Come again? 
a public competition for the right to conquest, Injun. That is why we are going to La Española. Eripiro looked at the papers and screwed up his face. If thou listen to me instead of fornicating like a rabbit all day long with all the Indias de Gama, thou might learn a thing or two. Here it says that I am requesting official permission to conquer and populate Cumana, and that I, Dr. Juan Ode Orpin, in other words, me, shall be conceded the title of governor in perpetuity of whatsoever I discover. What that means is that I'm requesting a grant of ecomienda, a legal tribute and labor rights in exchange for indoctrinating and protecting the natives over everything I find in order to have complete autonomy over the government I establish without having to answer to the royal tax man. Damn, bro, you gringos just love to discover stuff, wage your little battles, claim rights to everything and everyone, complained Ere Piero, adjusting his straw hat. Two centuries and counting, we've been made to worship your dearies and swallow your prevarications, peril like you're nothing more than petty thieves, lying and cheating and embustering pell-mell and helter-skelter. Don't bring me down with thy sermons, Injun. Furthermore, I can't scrap nigh half of what for thy speak. Whenever will thee finally learn Catalan? I am only attempting to follow in the footsteps of other discoverers who were following the first discoverer in order to earn riches and honors, and now silence, I must concentrate. The two men continued on their way to La Guayra, where they boarded a caravel set for sale for Santo Domingo and La Española. Once they reached the Council of Indies to request the grant, Orpi found that three Criollo noblemen, descendants of conquistadors and founders, were also there making their applications. One of those noblemen was none other than Vasquez de Soja, his old archenemy. All three of the gentlemen had more riches, titles, and crests than Orpi, and that was a hiccup for our hero who was not even close to being noble. But he only had to play his cards right, and he would be on the path to fame and fortune. For wasn't Pizarro a pig herder before he was a Marquise in the Indies? So Orpi, always thinking ahead, had already drafted an extremely long list of white lies to make him sound like he was of higher lineage, claims that he was of pure blood, that he was descended from old Christians, etc., designed to give his bureaucratic paperwork the necessary patina of pedigree to make him stand out among his competitors. He had reviewed the works of ancient orators and prepared an extremely eloquent defense of this grant. So eloquent, in fact, so extensive and concrete, so well-fashioned that, thanks to his literary arts, shamelessly plagiarizing the prose of Bernal Diaz de Castillo's True History of the Conquest of New Spain, which circulated in a manuscript edition in that era, the council, seeing that the lawyer conquistador had expressed his project so articulately, awarded him the grant. Thus, on that very 20th of December, 1631, on the cusp of 40 years old, Orpi was named Governor and Captain General of the Conquest, Pacification, and Population of the Province of the Cumanagotos before the entire Council of the Indies and the stupefied indignation of the three Criollo noblemen. The Council invited Orpi up to the dais, where he carried out a display of thanksgiving to God and the Crown, kneeling and bowing and curtsying. is Lumpin' Radio's books and literature program, airing every Sunday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Central. This episode featured writer Max Basora, author of The Adventures and Misadventures of the Extraordinary and Admiral Joan Orpi, Conquistador and Founder of New Catalonia, out now from Open Letter Press. This episode originally aired on May 27, 2021. I-94 is a Lumpin' Radio production, with readings by Shanna Van Bolt, 
show intro and promo voiced by David Green. Music by Laurie Johnson and Bill Bennett from the KPM Archive. For more information on I-94 and for past episodes, visit EYE94.org. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com.